Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the tale to my. Ah, yes! I did a. I gotcha! I'm looking at the damn script. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the tale to spin to my friend for life through thick and thin, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. Yeah, that was a two taker. One. I won. You said to challenge you, and I delivered. That was good. That was good. I should have been looking at the screen when I started talking, and I wasn't. That was my mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I realized halfway through the sentence I had no idea what was coming up, so I better glance. <laughs> yes. Well, as good. always, getting us kicked off for the day. Thank you to all our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, the servers humming, and questionable bouts of humor and uh, movies coming your way. Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? Not hardly. And you know what you can expect? Hazardous Travelator with that, you know, that uh, blizzard thing. That blizzard thing. That, that blizzard thing. Oh, well, here's the report. The National Weather Service is calling for a big blizzard thing. Yes, they are. But you know, there's another reason why today is especially exciting. Especially cold. Especially cold. Okay. But the big question on everybody's lips. On their chapped lips. On their chapped lips. Right. Do you think Phil is going to come out and see his shadow? Punk Satani Phil. That's right, Woodchuck Chuckers. It's Groundhog's Day. Day. Happy Groundhog's Day, Jonathan. That's right. There's a little sliver of history for you there. Yeah, there's other days of today, but it was Groundhog's Day. I, cu- I couldn't resist. It, yeah, it, I mean, how can you? We I don't think we've had a Groundhog Day episode yet, have we? I don't know. I don't think so. So, yeah. I think this is the first one. Yeah. Year five. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Truth be told, I rarely see anything coming. I just let it hit me in the face and then react. It doesn't help that we record these a week early, so, you know, it, Groundhog Day probably hasn't... It's still, it's still January. I didn't even have any idea that Groundhog Day was coming up until you said so. I'm still firmly rooted in January. <laughs> the most boring month of the year. Shut up! It was my birthday. Well, well, that's true. That is a little blurb of excitement, but if you've seen the news, uh, it's boring. Yeah, yeah, it's been very boring in the news. You know what? You know what happened the other day? I realized I hadn't checked twenty-four hours. It was amazing. You know what? I went the entire weekend without looking at the news. I went the entire weekend without waking up and screaming out battle stations damage report. Yeah, yeah. It's been nice. It's been nice. It's oh, actually it's refreshing. been interesting actually having to like go out of my way to find out what our executive branch is saying out loud. Like I, I've had yeah, to hashtag actually, make politics boring again. Yeah, word. I've been appreciating it. <laughs> all right, moving right along. Wow, that's it. That's uh, that's all we got for the announcements. Huh? That's all we got for the announcements. It's Groundhog's Day. Ah, Thank you, patrons. Yeah, we're rolling right along. Yeah. Unlike most episodes, it's now time for our first segment of the day. That is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. This is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves onto our tables 
and into our hearts. And let's go ahead and start off with the with the fans. There's a lot of a uh, lot of oh yeah. The, I just looked at Brendan's Rise of Skywalker review. True. Not gonna not gonna lie anymore. Yeah, yeah. Did not stick the landing. Thank you, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, no, it did not stick the landing. It's it's it's. Oh gosh, that repeated viewing. That's that's where it really falls apart. Yeah, and it's a shame because from an acting standpoint. Um, I don't have any complaints about that movie. I actually, I really no, like the, the actors are not the issue there. Um, no, no the script and the, the, the edit more than anything. Goodness. The edit, the edit's a hot mess. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, they didn't have a plan going in of who the villain was going to be, you know, plan. We don't need a plan. We'll write ourselves out of this. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that was the script for the last movie. Damn it. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yes, Brendan, Brendan uh, told us the games he's playing. He's been playing Victoriana, which is like Pandemic meets the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with a hint of Arkham Horror. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I wish I had not read that sentence because now I feel like I need that game. <laughs> <laughs> and then he also picked up recently Cleopatra and the Society of Architects, which is a tasty treat from the year 2006. Didn't we have a conversation with him about that? Maybe one night when we were playing? I don't know i can't remember but incidentally we have a tasty treat from 2006 coming up a little bit later in the podcast and what would that be our no time to bond sir but it's not time for that yet oh is that the year that came out that i didn't thought about it yeah this year it came out this year it came out goodness it's, i can't believe it's gonna turn 15 yeah right wow yeah i forgot to look this up i think that officially makes daniel <laughs> wow. craig the longest serving bond <laughs> hold on hold on <laughs> Somebody get the dust buster. We're going to have to get the dust off my shoulders because I feel old all of a sudden. <laughs> That's a 15-year-old movie legitimately? Yeah, 2006. Didn't you notice they didn't have smartphones at all in that film? They all had flip phones and stuff? No, they didn't have flip phones. They all had little candy bars. Well, they were yeah. higher tech, but they weren't like they weren't iPhones. No, the, nobody had a smartphone in that entire movie. They all, I mean, they, think about it. The iPhone was just about to come out. Yeah, yeah, but they were, they like were still two texting. Years, two years down the road. Yeah, but they're still like texting with like numbers and AI ellipsis. smarts. Yes. But we'll talk more about ellipsis in a little bit. Word. All right. Well, how about we uh, go out of order a little bit and just head straight down the list as presented on the script? We rarely do that. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about board games. Uh, you and I continue to play a lot of Welcome To. Yes, we do. <clears throat> yes, we do. And it has been good times. Yeah, I continue to enjoy that game. Uh, it's super fun. I'm thinking about buying the analog version. Uh, I If my local game store could get it because his distributor is out, uh, I would have had them order it for me. Uh, yes, I checked in with my FLGS and their distributor out, was out as well. So apparently Welcome To is a little on the harder to find side. I mean, I'm sure I could get it on the Amazons, but I'm trying to, re- I'm trying to support the local businesses. Yeah, word. Um, I found a game store that has it, but it's a little bit of a drive and you know, it's, it's COVID time. I don't go anywhere. So there's, (laughs) there's nothing that I'm I'm not going to pass by there on my way to something. (laughs) So yeah, worst case scenario, if I can't find a copy soon, I might have to Amazon it, but, uh, I am going to try and find it for the, uh, FLGS. Keep that, keep that money local. Yeah. Word. Agreed. That is all my board gaming. So, so go, go. All right. Well, I've got a couple more. Um, one that I'll just mention now because we're going to be talking about it in grand excess later, and that is Wayfinders. 
uh, from Pandasaurus, but we'll be talking about that in a little bit. That that's where the uh, the joke came from because I looked at the board w- with my cursory research on it, and it reminded me of Tailspin, the cartoon. So those were that's where that came from. You know, I almost asked you if it was a Baloo reference, but I wasn't 100% sure. But now it's all kind of coming together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I like it. I approve. I approve of Tailspin. Is Tailspin on Disney Plus? Can I watch old Tailspin episodes? I don't know. Hold Son on. of a... N- oh, yeah. Tailspin. No kidding. Hold on. Hold on. Streaming. Google. Disney Plus subscription. Heck yes. I'm going to Disney Plus right now. I'm going to verify this. Sometimes <laughs> things are different from country to country. <gasps> oh, Robert is here. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did that show only have one season? That's criminal. Uh, it had an old timey. When they used to do cartoons uh, to syndicate it, they need to do at least like 60 episodes. So like that's why a lot of cartoons in that era, like the first season is like 60 episodes. And then if they do more, they do like anywhere between like I've seen as few as like five or six okay. to 20. Well, that explains a lot because I was going to say it, it it didn't feel like only one, one, one season's worth because season one was 65 episodes long. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, Batman Hashtag was the same way. things I'm going to be watching while working over the next week. <laughs> I love that show. That show powers so much of my imagination from yeah. when I was younger. I loved that show so, so much. It was this. I think the reason I love this is because I had a deep love of, do you remember that show Tales of the Golden Monkey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I really liked that. I really liked Indiana Jones. I was like, look at this. It's in cartoon form. And they're singing and dancing, and I kind of, like, relate to the bear. <laughs> so I'm all right then. Oh, that's exciting. That's genuinely exciting. Thank you, Disney. Thank you for Disney+. Plus. It's it, it, I know there's a fee there, but that's the gift that keeps on giving. Hashtag Mandalorian, greatest show of all time. Especially because we bought three years of it up front. Uh, yeah, that's helping too. That's helping too. <laughs> but legitimately, I mean, like between Mandalorian and WandaVision, which we'll get to in a little bit, yeah, uh, it's already paid for itself. Yeah. All three years. Just just throwing this uh, out here we're before not there we yet. we're not well, there yet. I just want to throw this out here. Animaniacs season one, sixty five episodes. Season two, four. Season three, thirteen. Season four, eight. <laughs> season five, nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that tracks. That tracks with what I'm seeing here. Yeah, yeah. So. <clears throat> I don't know if they I, actually they probably don't do that anymore. But yeah, cartoons that I my, my ex-girlfriend was a animation major. So I, I know an odd amount about production of animation from 1990 to whenever we broke up in early 2000s. There you go. Fair enough. Fair I also enough. I also know a lot about horses. She had horses. I used to take care of horses. You don't nay. That's not good. Uh, come on. Come on. No. I'm, I'm get, working with what I got here. All right. Are you, are you telling me you, you feel a little bit like a horse's ass right now? <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay, I, we're, <laughs> we're way off topic. Fits, wear it, but I, but I, I got to say it out loud. So I, I've been playing uh, uh, City Skylines, and the ads on that uh, on the radio are amazing. And there's several horse-related ads, which is pretty I hilarious. I need to play that more. I need to play that more. Yeah, yeah. Like one of them is like, you know, last year's gaming phenomenon – uh shoot i can't remember it was it's basically like a sim about equestrian raising but they're talking about it like it's an action game it's hilarious and then there's like the local dj it's like welcome to dj or you know dj so-and-so and and the mayor and yeah it's just a horse and a dude on the morning traffic show (laughs) (laughs) i think at one time i was dared to and played through from start to finish barbie horse adventures so um there you go 
Nice. Nice. That was the Wild Horse Rescue, I might add, because that was what was available on the Xbox at the time. There was also Blue Ribbon Race, but that was a Game Boy Advance exclusive. Hmm. Don't ask me how I know all that. It's really best that we just leave this behind right now. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, Wayfinders. Cool. Any other board games? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, in preparation for some upcoming deep dives, uh, I've had a couple other things on the table. Uh, Marvel Champions, um, which I, um, I've had for a minute, and I decided to wait on doing a deep dive for it to give it a chance to mature a little bit to see... Um, you know, kind of like what direction they were taking the series in and see if it was it was something that I wanted to cover on the show. And uh, yeah, being a little more than a year into it and seeing the direction that it's going and me really liking it, I think it's time. It's time for us to talk about the base game. Okay. Groovy, groovy. But not this episode. That's that's upcoming episodes. Uh, and I also had Cryptid out from Osprey Games, uh, which is a game about cryptozoology. Uh, which will also be the subject of an upcoming deep bet. So I don't want to go into too much detail now. But that's a uh, shame. I I love cryptids. Suffice it to say, I'm having an excellent time with everything. Not a lot of negative to report. Well, there. Should we head to miniatures? Yes. I have nothing. Go on. Uh, we continue to build the Lego Ghostbusters set, which is turning into quite the saga to build, and not in a negative way. It's just very time consuming. <laughs> uh, we have completed. Eight of 14 bags, uh, and we have the second story about uh, two-thirds complete. Whoa, two weeks ago you were at seven of eight of 14 bags. You only did one bag? Well, okay, so to be fair, I only work on it when all the kids are present, uh, not just the the kids that are with us all the time. For those who might not be in the know, um, we have two of the kids, all the or three of the kids, I should say, all the time, and we have two of the kids uh, 50% of the time. And so... With school restarting and everything restarting, the time to work on these things has has shrunk pretty dramatically. Uh, and then with the kid, with two of the kids back at their moms, that means that um, yeah, I mean, we, realistically, we only had one day to work on it, and so bag bags eight took a uh, solid two hours to build. So that was that was our one building spree. But all the kids are actually home this weekend, so I'm hoping to get at least one, maybe two more uh, bag sets done. I'm not even paying attention to the thing you're saying. I'm looking at Cryptid on BoardGameGeek. That's fair. That's fair. I often forget to listen to myself, too, which is why I ramble. Um, Moving right along into movies and TV. Oh, hey, I've got something to say here. All right. Okay, so I'm very disappointed in you, Jonathan. I watched an amazing movie. I told you to watch it. I wanted someone to talk to about it, and you didn't. And you didn't because it's not on your list, and I'm mad at you. Okay. Is this the 80s one? Because I texted you about it because I was going to put it on while I was working one day and then somebody called me up and interrupted me and I lost those hours. All right. Well, HBO Max has an amazing documentary called Class Action Park and it is about the Action Fun Park, which was a uh, amusement park in New Jersey that is pretty much the most 80s thing ever. I have a long standing love of Disneyland and, and amusement parks. Don't, don't go too much into detail here. Cause I am going to watch it. I, okay. In fact, I just wrote it down on my notes, uh, where I, where I write down everything that I need to do during the week. So it will get done this week. Okay. Okay. I, I, yeah. What was that eighties movie that you want me to watch too? The really was it dead heat? One. The dead heat? You dead saw heat? The, yes. You need to watch dead heat. It's bad. It's not good. Anyway, class yeah, action. But park. I need to watch bad stuff while I'm working because that's I, I, if I get too sucked into it, then I'm not going to get any work done. It's just supposed to be there in the background for me to enjoy. True, true. When true. I'm doing menial stuff. 
True, true. All right, all right. Anyway, Class Action Park, thumbs up. Uh, watch it, and I guess Jonathan and I will talk about it next time. Fair. Done. I'll, I'll, cool. I'll watch it next. again. I will watch it again. It was that good. Okay. Don't watch it with the kids around. There are a lot of F-bombs. Like, they don't show anything too bad, although they do talk about a shack where people were, were banging uh, in the park. But, uh, yeah, th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Jersey people in that. <laughs> the That's park, fair. And there's a lot of F-bombs. So many F-bombs. <laughs> All right, I will watch it. So, um, uh, Jessica, my wife, decided that we should start watching this. Uh, I almost said mockumentary. It's, they're calling it a documentary. I don't know what to make of it. Heads or tails of it. It's called Surviving Death, and each episode um, centers in on a different um, post-life theory, for lack of a better term. I guess you could say. Okay. The first one was on basically like what happens when life or it was uh, no I'm sorry it was uh, near death experiences it was near death experiences in the first episode and then the second and third episodes were a two parter on mediums and the near death experiences one was genuinely interesting um, especially because there's so much correlation between what people are seeing uh, in you know from culture to culture from from time period to time period which is crazy to me that 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 kind of consistency can be measured and and has been measured so that's that's interesting i'm i'm curious there um the the medium one was problematic i'll say that it where's this where's this on the netflix uh, documentary series it's called surviving death surviving death this sounds up so my I I, there's three episodes left i know at least one of them i think part 6 is on past lives uh and from a fictional perspective, I have a lot of interest in watching that one, so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, I we'll, we'll I see. don't believe we'll in past lives. I, I did say fiction. It was funny. My daughter, because uh, uh, she she talks with people on the internet now because <laughs> she can't meet them in person. Apparently, our kids talk all the time. By the way, really? Yeah, huh. I, I was just made aware of that recently. Oh, okay, I did not know that. Yeah, Sophia and Eowyn chat on. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's a Facebook messenger for kids and they're always gabbing, you know, gabbing. Oh, I did not know that. I'll ask her about that. So anyway, she was talking to somebody about past lives and, uh, uh it was a boy and the boy, you know, he, he, she was saying that he believes in past lives or something. And I said, was he somebody important in a past life or somebody cool, like a warrior? And she's like, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's the problem with Gee, past how'd lives. How'd you know, Dad? <laughs> that's the problem with past lives. Everybody was like, "I was totally around in a past life." They were like, "Awesome in a past life," and it's like it's kind of suspicious that maybe you have some sort of like deep seated fear that you don't really do anything in this modern society where nothing you do matters in the sense that there's because we live in post scarcity. You don't have to worry about your survival. And so like imagining that you were somebody whose survival was very key and a big deal uh, is comforting to you. Just saying, (laughs) just saying, I'll leave it there. But yes, it's funny how nobody goes like, yeah, I was a maid in a house and there were all these passages. Yeah. I would wake up really early. I'd work all darn day. And I died at 32 of a heart attack. That was my past life. You know, honestly, 
According to uh, according to a lot of what I read, uh, if you survived to the age of fourteen, the odds of you living to the age of like what we would consider old, like the seventies, were actually really high. It's just so many kids died before the age of fourteen. That's why everybody thinks everybody died at like thirty in medieval times, because <laughs> it was all the little kids and the you know dragging the average down. But yes, if you survived to fourteen, you would probably live into your sixties and seventies. Just throwing that out there. So me and Gina have been continuing to watch Titans. Uh, we moved to season two. The show's okay, but season two got weird because it feels like they severely retconned the show between season one and season two because all of a sudden, like, Dick Grayson and a few of the other characters were like, oh, yeah, we were totally on a, a teen sidekick team called the Titans back in the day. We just didn't mention it until now. And they mentioned it like they've been mentioning it forever. And it's like, no. Uh, <laughs> I hate it when shows do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know the season finale actually became the season premiere because they wanted to retool it a little bit because they weren't happy. And I think that's when they did a lot of this stuff. But yeah, it, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But the show's okay. Uh, well, all right. I've still got it on my list, but I can't say I'm like pushing it to the front, you know? Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully they, they'll grow their beard and season three will be better. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. There's parts of it I really like and there's parts of it I think are annoying. And so we'll see how it, how it shakes out. Let's hope it's better than Discovery season three. Ouch. Discovery season three was not as bad as season one. Jeez. True, true. But after the brilliance that was the last three quarters of season two, it really was just like a two by four to the face. I disagree entirely, but whatever. All right, I still love you. I, I'm not going to argue that it was as good as season two. You are correct in that, but I don't think it was bad. <laughs> uh, what's next? What's next? I started watching a new show called Tin Star uh, mm. on Amazon. Mm. Uh, I was attracted to it because, A, it takes place in Canada, and secretly at heart, I think I'm a closet Canadian, and I really, really want to move there. Uh, and, B, it uh, stars Tim Roth, who's an amazing actor. So Tim Roth plays a... Uh, police officer that comes from London and becomes a small town sheriff in the Canadian Rockies. And then all kinds of madness uh, begins to ensue. I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's, um, it's an emotionally difficult show and it is expertly acted and it, it's rough to watch, but I can't stop. Hmm. Hey, Jonathan, these characters are going through some trials. Yeah. What's the first letter of the alphabet? A... And what's the last one? Z. You're not Canadian. If you're Canadian, you would have said Zed. Zed. Yeah, that's true. I said I'm closet. I'm closet. Okay. Okay. Let your let your Canadian flag fly, sir. Say Zed. Say Zed for me. Let's do it. From A to Z. Yeah. That feel good? That feel right? It did. It did. Actually, it, it does feel right. <laughs> it does feel right. I'm going to start throwing random additional letters into words where they don't necessarily belong. Like color with a U. I don't think that's a Canadian thing. I think that's an English thing. It is an English thing, but they spell it that way in, in Canada, too. Oh, I did not know that. Remember, I've worked with many a Canadian, and um, uh, the the biggest, hardest thing that was um, that I, I had to deal with working with uh, Canadian coworkers was that in the United States, we've been taught to write our dates opposite of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that can cause a little bit of confusion from time to time, yeah. which is uh, difficult from a business perspective. There need to be, there need to be, you know, standard measurements. 
almost like a system based on 10 that would allow us to measure everything to a very precise margin. Wow. What a great idea. I wonder if that'll ever happen. I always wonder if time should be metric. I mean, it would make a lot more sense if it was base 10. Yeah, you know, like there'd be 10, I guess, hours in the day. One day is 10 hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then everything goes down. There would be, what, 100 seconds per 100 minutes? No, there'd be there'd be there'd be one hour, which would be mean there were ten minutes an hour, which mean there would be ten. But it would make hours, seconds, and minutes really, really wonky. But whatever. Well, but would they be wonky if that's what we had? We wouldn't know any better. Well, there you go. There's your parallel sci-fi universe where they have metric time. God, that would be lovely to be able to track everything base ten instead of going, oh, that's one sixtieth, but it's one twenty fourth, and you know, times seven. (laughs) (laughs) fortunately the calendar doesn't work out very metrically but you know you can't fix that that's kind of orbital dynamics true very true very true all right well i introduced the daughter to one of my very favorite tv shows uh young justice speaking of watching things based on the teen titans because i'm apparently watching two things based on the teen titans right now Young, (laughs) young justice is legit very very good uh i really like that show it's basically in a it's in a DC universe where it, it's like the Justice Society definitely happens. So there are superheroes back in like the 40s, but it seems like there haven't really been superheroes until more recently when Superman and Batman and all that popped out of the woodwork. Um, at least that's how it's it kind of like uh, the Watchmen where there was a time where there weren't. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that vibe, but um, they haven't really said, but the world building's really good. And it's based off of, you know, a lot of comics I like because uh, there's a lot of elements of the, the Teen Titans when I was reading it uh, back in the early aughts that they're basing stories on. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's just a pretty decent show. And, you know, they tackle stuff in interesting ways like uh, uh, Miss Martian. Uh, they use her as an allegory for a lot of things, actually, like being biracial and how, how does that how do you fit into the world and body dysmorphia and, and all this other jazz because you know she's a shapeshifter oh, that's cool but yeah no they they do a lot of really cool stuff with just how they how they have the characters interact and and whatnot so i i dig it i dig that show a lot and, and my daughter likes it and one of the things anyone really likes is uh it doesn't look like it when you start because it is a very big sausage fest and she was she was giving me the side eye when i said no 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 there's good female characters in there you just gotta wait they introduce them as the season goes on um, but yeah, about, by about halfway through the season, um, there's on the main team, there's four dudes and three girls and all of the, all of them are written very well. They have all a lot of interesting interactions with each other. And, you know, Awen loves, she like actually likes all the, the lady characters. There's uh, Zantana, uh, Artemis and, uh, Miss Martian are the lady characters and she likes them all for various reasons. Her favorite is Artemis though. Cause she's sassy and I think she likes bows cause bows are kind of cool. All right. Well, I'll have to check that out. That sounds actually right up my alley. I would say it's better than Titans personally. That, that's my feeling on it. I I've never watched, I, I've gotten like two episodes in the season two and then I stopped watching it for months and then I'm like, Oh, I'll have to watch season one again. So I've watched like season one, like this is my fourth time through it, I think. <laughs> and then I've only gotten a couple episodes in the season two ever. So I'm almost done with season one again. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a crappy nineties movie. Oh, go on. Virtuosity starring. Oh, pro. Oh, I want to watch that so bad. I've seen oh, it's that. So bad. It's oh. so bad, Robert. Oh, oh, is it worse? Is it, is it worth watching? Because I remember, I remember it's somehow worse it. than Johnny M- Mnemonic. 
And that's never, saying something. I've never seen that. Is it, okay. I I like bad movies, but does it commit the cardinal sin of being boring? No, no, that it does not. Okay, okay. And Russell Crowe is so over the top. It's a bad movie worth a watch, but it is bad. Make no mistake. It is. Okay. It is. It, and it's nineties bad. That's a special brand of bad. It is brand. a special brand of bad, and it 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 embraces the hell out of it. All right. All right. It's like 90s trying to tell the future bad. Does it take place in like the near future of 2005? It, it never tells you what year that you're in. But for some reason, everybody drives uh, late 90s vehicles. Uh, but technology's like 45 years in the future. Hey, you know, it's not a bad, not a bad look. Kind of the muddle along sci-fi and, future. Oh, man, was this movie trying to do CG and it just had no right to. <laughs> CG uh, has come a long way. When when I see some of the effects on a TV show nowadays compared to what this had as a full-fledged movie, you realize you realize just how far we've come. Maybe we should recommend that movie to the Corridor crew. Uh, you know what? Honestly, like I was sitting there watching the whole thing and I'm like, "Wow, they they really do need this in their lives." That this and Lawnmower Man. They did the Lawnmower Man recently. Did I miss that episode where they did the Lawnmower Man? Because man, that that is a hot mess. Yeah, you missed that. I, I'm pretty sure they did the Lawnmower Man. I'm I'm 90 percent sure of that. But let me tell you, like virtuosity is like, oh, it's all over the place. Bad. Is it Lawnmower Man bad? Because I watched Lawnmower Man and that that wow. I don't think I've seen Lawnmower Man since I had to sneak into it with my buddy Dionzlo since it was rated R. So Dionzlo and I bought tickets to another movie and then we jumped theaters. Yeah, I used to do that. That's how I saw T2 when I was like 14. Yeah, because they didn't want to sell us an R-rated ticket. Yeah, when I when I was first, when I was a younger lad, like you could get away with that. And then like right around the time I turned 17, they really cracked down. Like they really oh, yeah, we cracked down. We had standing down. orders when I was working in the movie theater. You throw those people out. They, they don't get a yeah. chance. Yeah, but it was weird. Like I used to get away with that all the time. Like uh, from about 12 till, yeah, about 17. 17 is when... It, uh, it, they really started cracking down on that. Yeah, you, you know what it was? It was the, the, the big push in the late 90s of uh, Jack Thompson and all of the, the potential censorship of music and video games and movies. Like it was, it was that whole push drew, drove a lot of companies to, to put their foot down on certain things. Hmm, that sucks. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Oddly enough, skipping forward, I'm, I'm reading a book called Jacked, uh, which is a, a story of um, the development of Grand Theft Auto and and the company associated with it, DMA Designs, who then eventually evolved into Rockstar. Um, and uh, they they spent a good solid quarter of the book so far talking about that time period and how Jack Thompson, the same guy that was taking on all of the violent video games, was the guy that um, spurred all the lawsuits that took uh, the music industry in front of Congress and basically created the parental advisory uh, sticker. Hmm. Intriguing. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book. We'll talk about it more in a little bit. But it's, uh, Let's finish out the TV shows and movies. So yeah, Virtuosity, it's a good, bad movie. Your turn. Uh, speaking of things that are inappropriate for the kiddos, uh, uh, I started watching the Harley Quinn cartoon show, which is the lot for children. I need to watch that. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's very, uh, it's very meta. And the, the lady who does Harley Quinn, uh, Kylie, Ku- she was on the Big Bang Theory. C-U-C-C-O. Oh, Kuoko? Kuoko? Okay. I know how to pronounce it. I've only seen that word. Uh, I yeah, think she that's has- how you pronounce it, but don't quote me. 
Okay. Don't quoco me. Uh, she does voice of Harley Quinn and she's one of the executive producers. And uh, yeah, it really shows that she has this really weird love of Harley Quinn. And uh, yeah, the show's, the show's just really interesting. And it does poke fun at comic books quite a bit. Like there's an episode where uh, Harley really wants to get a nemesis for reasons. And uh, she, she puts herself on like what's essentially a nemesis dating website, but she doesn't get really any good, any good nemesises attracted to her. <laughs> so she decides to make, try to make Batman her nemesis uh, and take him away from the Joker. Um, and th- so she does stuff to try to attract Batman's attention, but Robin uh, shows up and Robin decides that she, that Harley Quinn's his nemesis. But there's this great part in the Batcave where it's, uh, this Robin's Damian Wayne. Damian's just sitting there like Batman comes up and it's like, I'm sorry it didn't work out with you and your nemesis. Damien, but I want you to know that one day you'll find a nemesis that'll be perfect for you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he gets kind of like like a little flushed and he gets a little cheery. And it, yeah, oh, it was good. It's so good. The first season was quite good and we are moving on All to right. season two. I, it's, it's on my list. I've been meaning to watch it, but only so many hours in the millennia, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, moving right along, I watched another late 90s movie that was actually a fun little chase movie. That's uh, The Peacemaker. Starring uh, George Clooney. Yeah, I saw that in the theaters. It was kind of, he's like, what, Army Special Forces? And he's, it's kind of a Bond movie. (laughs) That's like how it really felt. It is, but it's it's a chase movie. It's, um, you know the movie it most reminded me of, actually? Mission Impossible 3, how it's a chase movie, and they're chasing the MacGuffin. Except in this one, it's chasing a nuke. But it's 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 well put together. It's quite taut. There's some really good characterizations in it, and it does not suffer from the going back in time uh, sexism issue. In fact, they 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 deal with sexism pretty upfront in the film. Um, it's uh, Mimi Rogers. No, not Mimi Rogers. No, Mimi it's Nicole Letter? Kidman. It's Nicole no, Kidman. No, no, but Mimi Letter uh, directed it. Uh, she's oh, okay. The lady that uh, directed Deep Impact. Oh, okay. So it, it's interesting because uh, you know. It, this is doing what Wonder Woman tried to do and kind of stumbled in Wonder Woman 84. This does it a lot better. Hmm. Interesting. It was a pleasant surprise and it aged very well, except for some of the special effects, which look distinctively 90s. Maybe we shouldn't have used CG and we should have done this practical. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That happens. Yeah, they, they they embraced the CG a little quick in the 90s. They should have held off or, and, and continued with the practical stuff for a little while longer. Well, I think the problem was there was some good CG and they were trying to make it good and cheap. But yeah, they should have waited a little bit. Yeah, that was the problem is you couldn't make it good and cheap. Anyway, there's, there's one last thing I wanted to talk about before we move on, Robert. Okay. The Godzilla versus Kong trailer. Oh, yes. my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, oh. You know, it's funny. I made Gina watch that and I, I like hid what we were, well, she wasn't paying attention. So I, I managed to hide what we were watching. And so the trailer starts and she's like looking at it. She's like, is that King Kong? And I'm like, yeah. And you know, and little girl and she's like, and then, and then you hear the Godzilla and then her face like lit up like a small child. And she's like, oh, is this Godzilla versus Kong? And I'm like, yes, yes it is. And she's like, oh, I want to watch this. <laughs> and I'm like, but you didn't want to watch the last crappy Godzilla movie. And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, I hate to break it to you, but they, Millie Bobby Brown's character, they introduced in the last Godzilla movie, so you kind of have to. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's got good action scenes. You just, just go along for the popcorn show and hate watch it. It's, it's a good hate watch movie. But yeah, so yeah, she's, she's what, down Godzilla for the Godzilla. Versus, yeah. 
King of the Monsters. Yeah, it is a hate watch movie. I, uh, I wanted to like it so much. I tried so hard to like it. I know. I did too. I like the fight scenes. I did. Uh, yeah, that 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 was not the problem. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was God, not the problem. No. Even the orca thing, where it's like humanity is like a monster. Like that was fine. I like. Yeah, that makes sense in a Godzilla movie. I could dig it. Yeah. No, the whole the whole plot with the the eco terrorism was just bad. Just bad. Yeah, it was just a bad script with yeah. uh, decent direction. Yeah, yeah. That script needed to cook just a little bit longer. Although I did like how they embraced all of the Godzilla zaniness, but they like tried to play it straight. Like I, I could kind of appreciate that. You know, it's like tunnels. That part under- wasn't the problem. No, no. But it's like tunnels. It was the kooky under- subplots that were the problem. Yeah, that's true. But I, I will give them credit. They at least embraced a lot of the zaniness of a lot of Godzilla stuff and they played it straight. And you know what? God help me. It was kind of endearing for that. I kind of dug it. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, this one does not look like it's got any of that. And damn, does Kong have a right hook? Yeah. He comes in like the thunder. (laughs) Did you notice that they're fighting on top of an aircraft carrier? Yes, I did notice that. That alone just had me sitting there just going, oh, this is is what daddy needs. Uh, yeah. Oh, good times. I can't wait. Dear Thanks. Adam Wingard, you get me. I love you. May God have mercy on your soul if you screw this up, because the trailer is dope. Agreed. All right, moving right along. I have not done no reading and no RPGing. I just have stuff in video games and other. So a little bit of reading for me. I finished up Persepolis Rising, uh, which is interesting, and it, it, it returns to the form of... Uh, finishing the story halfway through and having some, some hanging um, story elements, which uh, is what the Leviathan wakes did in the very beginning of the um, expanse series. So I'm, I'm looking forward now to getting the next book. I'm now further than I've ever been. I think I have one more book to read and then there's an unpublished book coming along that will uh, close out the series. Hmm, Nice. But for now I have been reading that uh, jacked, uh, which is a movie or excuse me, which is a book all about the um, birth of Grand Theft Auto and uh, where it came from and the the people behind it. And I've, I've long said that uh, Dan Hauser is one of my favorite video game writers. Uh, he wrote the scripts for Grand Theft Auto 4, uh, both Red Dead uh, games. I mean, the, the guy is an amazing writer and he's, he's really good at building and uh, not just good characters but and interesting characters, but characters that change and grow uh, across the narrative of the game. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really having a good time with it so far. It's a very well-written book. Uh, it was an investigative reporter that uh, kind of just kind of chronicled the whole thing across 20-plus years. Sorry, my dog decided to get up for some reason and shake. Sometimes you just got to shake. It's mm. so weird that dogs do that. I try to do that, and I just feel like I'm giving myself a concussion. <laughs> nice. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't know. My beard's gotten to the length now where when it's wet, if I shake my face, it actually feels very strange because there's a solid weight hanging from my chin. Wow. Send me a picture of your beard. I haven't seen you in a while. Have you not? No. Well, I mean, I've seen pictures on Facebook, but I, I'm so rarely on Facebook these days. Any other reading, by the way? No, that's it for the reading department. That's it, which I think oh. brings us to the end, right? No, no, well, video games, video games. Actually, uh, I started reading today uh, the Delta Green Adventure about the King in Yellow, Impossible Landscapes. They released the PDF today, so I've been devouring that. Because I, I had the, uh, I was reading the uh, the draft of it 
but uh, the formatting and referring to art that wasn't there was getting distracting. So <laughs> I, uh, I stopped. But yeah, now I'm reading the actual book and it's very entertaining. I Check your ru- phone. Run that. Check my phone. Jeez, dude. It's getting there, right? Wow, wow. you're like at half. I'm officially in the Civil War general beard length. Yeah, yeah, you is. Nice. Do you have that shirt? Which shirt? The shirt that has all the beard links going down the front? No, I... Oh, I, oh, I need to get one. <laughs> that, yeah, I need to put that into my life. <laughs> all right, let's, let's, let's round out video games and call it a day. I've got three, you've got two, so I'll go first, right? Yep. Uh, continuing to play a lot of uh, Call of Duty Cold War. Nice. Um, played through the campaign twice. Uh, I won't call it great, but I will call it solid. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. It's enjoyable enough. There's some really cool set pieces. Um, my my big issue is that it's a game that takes place in history and it doesn't handle the history well. And that's that's my frustrating part of it. I can dig it. Uh, what about you? You're just still doing the ring fit, huh? Yes, I am. Today day was 70? day 70. Day 70, yes. Of my ring is it getting adventure. any easier for you? Well, no, because I keep turning the difficulty up. But uh, it's nice. Um, so the first time I did the the planking maneuver in that game where you kind of like rest yourself on your toes and your, your elbows and then you sort of like back thrust your, your butt up, you know? The first day I did that, I did 24. And the next day I thought I was going to die. Like my my core hurt so bad. It was, it was impressive. Because, yeah, when I first started doing it, I was doing eight at a time and I just upped the difficulty. So now I'm doing 13 at a time. Um, I only did it once today, so I, I don't know. But I, I've done it... On average, the last couple of weeks, I've done like 33 of them every time I play it, give or take. My record is 55, <laughs> and the low end was uh, 33. So, yeah, and yeah, my, my, my core is, is not hurting anymore. It's, it's, it's awesome, buff. though, man. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great game. Yeah, I, I know. You'd be buff. Yeah, I'm not going to be buff. I'm not working out with weights, but it's, uh, it's nice. I highly recommend that game. I know it seems pricey for 80 bucks. Believe me, I know. It's because it's it has that, that dumb ring peripheral in it. But uh, yeah, it's worth it because it's just gamey enough that you can just look forward to playing it. And yeah, it's good times. And you get loot. And, and sometimes the loot is just so impressively bad and you look so stupid that you just kind of have to grin and, you know, power through. I just got a shirt that gave me a, like a weird mustache because it's I supposedly stole it off of a character that's been reoccurring throughout the game. It's been pretty funny. It's red, and I, I have this like little goatee, like a like kind of a, a a Robin Hood, you know, kind of the 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 two ends and the little scruff on the chin. It's good times. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I started playing through Mafia Three, um, which I think I started a long time ago, but never got around to finishing. And um, yeah, I don't know why I saw it on my list of things that I haven't finished yet and decided to give it another shot and i am back in the 1960s in the south of the united states and i am uh, experiencing an interesting story so far the story's been actually very interesting yeah that's what you said last time i'm a lot further than i was before um it's turning into something different than i would have expected um and it was a bold move uh making the main character who he is in a game uh, especially set in that time period, because people were not kind in that time period. No, no, they were not. So it's uh, it, it's tough at times. It's really tough, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying the game, and I'm, I'm enjoying where the story's going. I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. 
All right. Well, rounding me out, uh, I started. I picked up City Skylines again for reasons I can't fathom. But I've been building cities again, which I don't even know why I enjoy doing it so much because I play it on infinite money. Because every time I get back into it, I'm like, I'm going to play a city on infinite money so I can get the swing of things again. And then, and then I start a new city with non-infinite money, and I'm not even doing badly. I just kind of burn myself out. I've done this like so many times. <laughs> but whatever, it's, I'm having fun. It's your pattern. Care. It's your pattern. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. I'm having fun. Uh, if I finally figured out how to make colleges work, which is nice. Uh, so, because I got the, I have all the expansions. So there's the campus expansion. Yeah, there was a big. That, so. uh, there was a big. What do you call it? There was a humble bundle, right? There was a humble bundle at one point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the, uh, for PC, but I have it on the PlayStation, so oh, I don't even get mods. Yeah, playing with mods is fun. Like it's it's hard. <laughs> it's more challenging, but yeah, it's fun. So anyway, thumbs up. Last thing I've been playing is uh, Hitman 3, uh, which just came out this week, I think. Mm. No, last week. Last week. Okay. Um, you know what that game does so incredibly well? It's just how flexible uh, your approach to the game is. The whole thing is like a giant sandbox, and they give you all these different tools that you can use to accomplish your goals. And they do a really good job of giving you a bunch of challenges to, to get you used to the flexibility of the engine. But what, what, what's really fun is when you just go off the rails and see how, how you can accomplish goals in that game. And it's, it really is remarkable how much flexibility they give you. It's, it's amazing. And each level is just so intricate. It's so much fun. It's such a great puzzle to figure out. That's cool. Well, that's about it for uh, video games. So I think that is about it for our first segment, which means it's time for... Hey, 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 hey. I wanted to talk about my Flamingo. Flamingo. Oh, the Flamingo. Didn't I get that turn? Uh, We were trying to... Because I mashed up the... Okay, so I've been doing more digital art because, you know, it's what I've been been doing to keep myself sane. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I did that picture of the candle. And then I used that that color palette and I made a flamingo that's on fire like a phoenix because I don't know who gave me that idea. It was either you or my other buddy, but or maybe both of you did simultaneously. I don't know. But yeah, I, I made a picture. I put it on our uh, on our Discord. Go look at it. I'm I'm proud. It it turned out really nice. Surprisingly it did come good. out really nice. I'm very impressed. Yeah, yeah. According to the second shirt, by the way, I just checked my phone. Mm-hmm. I I'm estimating here, but I'm definitely officially Civil War general. I think I'm about to cross into Lumberjack. Wow. That's cool. It's almost long enough that I can braid it. I like. You need to get that shirt. I need to see that shirt on you. <laughs> that would be dope. Yeah, I do. <laughs> also, I, I, I've, I've been Bob Rossing on and off. I, I started doing a winter landscape because I wanted to paint uh, do the Bernie meme of him just sitting in a Bob Ross winter <laughs> landscape. <laughs> oh, that Bernie meme. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, the, yes the, it the is. The chief of police here in Cedar Park actually posted a picture where somebody photoshopped Bernie in his chair. And then he was standing behind him with a pair of scissors just giving him a haircut. It was really funny. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I was I was gonna yeah I was I was gonna paint a Bob Ross winter landscape and then paint a, a Bob Ross style Bernie I guess into it, but I never got around to it. So or I well I got about seventy percent done on the winter landscape and then I stopped because I started playing City Skylines again. Actually, that's that's what screwed that up. So I'll get back into it. I need to. I need yeah. I need to have my own Bernie meme. I think that'll be fun. Um, we should come up with a forgot my dice Bernie meme. Hmm. Or what our our, our f- forgot my dice one should be. 
I mean, it could just be the Bob Ross one. <laughs> Bernie sitting behind my table with an unplayed game in front of him. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? He could be sitting by my bookshelf with all my unplayed role-playing games. There you go. There you go. Hold on. Check your, uh, check your phone. I'm posting something here. Because that okay. it just it gave me the giggles today. It was so well done. Whoever did the Photoshop did a bang-up job. That's very true. He did do a bang-up job. Right? Like, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our first segment, which means, of course, it's time for a short break. But when we return, it'll be time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. We will talk to you in just a moment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about, uh, well, not a whole lot these days because it's the beginning of the year and there's just not a ton of news. But what little there is, we have dragged out of the shadows and into the light. Robert, first story. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Wizards of the Coast. Uh, last year. I saw this in the notes and I'm so glad you put this in there. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they got called out for, you know, their representation and whatnot. And, you know, I'll give Wizards some credit. You know, I mean, people were pissed it didn't happen instantly, but business doesn't move fast like that. But the fact that business is actually moving, I'm actually impressed with. Their latest book, Candlekeep Mysteries, which we talked about last time, uh, they released the author list on it. And it contains many a person of color and even differently abled uh, authors, one of which got a whole bunch of crap on the internet because she dared include a dungeon with ramps in it. All the grognards got pissed at that because ramps apparently like flying wizards and dragons and breathing fire. That's fine. But you put a ramp in a dungeon and that's beyond the pale, sir. Oh my God. Oh my God. The things people get upset about is just sometimes it's just jaw dropping. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, there's uh, there's two, I believe ladies uh, that are, uh, differently abled and there's uh you know a lot of representation from a wide variety of races and yeah it's uh or ethnicities i should say races and ethnicity i don't know whatever um but yeah it's it's just been good to see it's good to good to see wizards trying to put some money where their mouth is so i I am definitely glad to see it i just wish that it hadn't taken quite so long and i don't mean that just in terms of wizards i just mean that by society hey society no reason for this let's get let's get on this train uh, agreed. And they also hired uh, Mackenzie D. Uh, how do you say that name? I don't want to screw it up. The Adamas? The Adamas? Mackenzie D. Adamas. The Adamas. Okay. The Adamas. The? De? Say the? The? Adamas. You got to roll that R, son. I, 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 I'm so white. I can't roll R's. Er- it's hard. I, I don't have Scottish in me either. So. Wow. You should see the waveform when you roll your R. That's. Er- r- 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 
Err. Arr. No, mine's not that neat. See, I don't have it. Oh, okay, okay, punch it, Chewy. <laughs> anyway, uh, they hired her as an associate D&D producer. So, yeah, you know, just wizards trying and keep on trying. It's it's good trajectory. They're not done. Hopefully they're not done. Don't be done, wizards. But good job so far. You're familiar with Parks from Keymaster Games? Came out, uh, what, two years ago I'm now? familiar with Parks, like the one I have across my street that I go to, to with my children sometimes. Keymaster Games, of course, uh, well-known for campy creatures, which we've talked about on the show pretty extensively. Um, they came out with a new game about two years ago. Uh, it was a, it's an absolutely beautiful set collection game called Parks. Uh, it's all about the U.S. National Parks. Some of the finest start I think I've ever seen in a game. They are back with a standalone game that is also featuring those National Parks once more, and this time we get Parks Memories. So it's going to be encouraging players to take a leisurely and I'm quoting here, a leisurely hike down memory lane in this strategic memory game featuring park art. Hmm. So it borrows a cue from the, the big game parks. It looks like it's just kind of a travel variant and it's still got the uh, same idea. You're taking a hike, um, you're given multiple, uh, options and then you're choosing the option that, that best suits you out of a, a grouping of two. Uh, it'll be available from FLGS and Barnes and Noble. Um, it says this month, which is kind of cool. So hopefully, uh, relatively soon. And if it's anything like the uh, previous game, it's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be gorgeous. There's actually three different editions in this one. There's going to be the Planeswalker, which has all the parks in in uh, the Plains region of the U.S. The Mountaineer Edition, which has the mountainous U.S. parks, and the Coast to Coast Edition, which will highlight parks that have tremendous bodies of water in them. You, uh, I talked to you about this last episode, although I cut it out, and uh, you told me to put it in this episode so we could talk about it. So here we are, Jonathan. You are welcome. Chaosium announces Lords of the Middle Sea, the RPG. Actually, they announced it a year ago, and uh, but they just released the cover art because it sounds like they're going to print uh, soon. <laughs> because they were gunning for the middle of 2021 to release this. But it's based on Lynn Willis's 1978 futuristic proto-steampunk board game set in the post-apocalyptic ruins of a flooded North America. The tabletop RPG utilizes a streamlined version of the basic role-playing system. Player characters are called Voyagers and are drawn from one of six basic nation-states surrounding the Middle Sea and form the crew of an airship, which they customize and are created during character creation. And then they travel between island nations seeking adventure, fame, fortune, survival, fuel, all sorts of stuff. Can I just say that this might have the dopest cover art I've ever seen? Yeah, this seems up your alley. You fly a blimp. Yeah, this definitely seems up my alley. Although part of me is wondering why they have an AK-47 in there, but... Well, it's alternate history. Technically, that's a nun with an AK. (laughs) Which also sounds coincidentally like a badass hip-hop group. I think I've seen a movie about that. None with an AK? Mm-hmm. It's a board game called Nuns on the Run. That's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. This looks amazing. This looks like so much fun. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous how right up my alley this is. <laughs> I know. I know. Is this so where is this? Is this gonna be a Kickstarter, you said? No, they, it, it's Cassium. They're just going to release it. Uh, again, middle of 2021 is what they're gunning for. They don't have anything better than that. They say they're not going to uh, pin down a release date until it's on a boat, which it is not yet. So they're not saying. <laughs> I see what they did there. All right. As soon as you hear more, I want I want updates. I want okay. updates because I kind of want that. Okay. We'll do. We'll do. That's on the want list. Awesome. All right. I've talked about some of my favorite designers on the show before, right? One of whom is Corey Kaneska. 
Uh, now, you might remember Corey Kaneska's designs from such hits as Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars Rebellion, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, uh, the Gears of War game, on some of my, my favorite, favorite, favorite board games. Well, uh, if you remember, back in 2019, I, I don't know if we covered this on the show or not, I can't remember, but um, Asmodee basically said, hey, Corey, we're going to give you your own studio. Uh, which he decided to call Unexpected Games. And we haven't heard anything since then. Lo and behold, here we are, early 2021, and we've gotten the first hints of a release. It's a game called The Initiative. They did this in an interesting way. Uh, this week was a release of their website, and the website is uh, basically currently full of puzzles. Uh, there's a cryptogram, uh, which you need to decode, when you decode it, that's how people got the name of the, the, the board game. It's called the, the, you know, the initiative. And there's a bunch of different secrets that lead to a secret web page and all kinds of info. So if you want to have some fun, I'm trying to keep it real light here because I don't want to give away the, the fun of the website. Go check it out. Uh, but basically, it's, a, it's going to be a one to four player game. It's going to become coming later in the spring, they think. And it's played in three distinct parts, apparently. They haven't really gone into too much detail on on what each thing is but there is a 48 page comic in there which is going to detail one of the scenes of the game i don't know if the whole comic book does that or if you take sections of the comic and that translates to sections of the game there's just not a lot of detail yet but i have a lot of faith in Corey kineska uh, and I'm, I'm genuinely excited about this and they're doing some cool stuff with the marketing which is neat and last up is terraforming mars is getting a um a new card game. Uh, this is not another expansion for the main game. This is, in fact, just Terraforming Mars, uh, the card game. Uh, it's called Ares Expedition. It's a standalone game. It is, of course, from Jacob Frixilus, but it's co-developed with Nick Little and Sidney Engelstein, who is, of course, Jeff Engelstein's uh, uh, daughter. So it, uh, apparently game design runs in the family there. That's cool. I like that. So not a lot of information yet uh, is available, but uh, there's, as more information comes out, I'll, I'll definitely bring it up because I love me some Terraforming Mars. All right, well, that means it is, of course, time for our No Time to Bond segment. This is part 24 of our 30-part series. And hell, man, after the mess that was Johnny English, this was a welcome respite. It is, of course, time to talk about 2006's Casino Royale. Robert, take it away. Directed by Martin Campbell, who uh, returned from Goldeneye, one of our other favorite movies. On a budget of $150 million, it made $606 million, which I think was the highest grossing Bond movie to date. So some fun facts. It is the first movie since 1987's The Living Daylights to share a title with an actual Bond story. And if you want to go to books, you got to go all the way back to 1979's Moonraker uh, where it shares the title of an actual book because after Moonraker, uh, they like the living daylights and Octopussy, those were all short stories that were part of collections. Also, it's the first movie to be a faithful adaptation of a bond novel since, uh, depending on your definition of faithful Moonraker, the man with the golden gun or live and let die, which, uh, at least 1979, uh, having read two of the three books, I would say it's, uh, 1973's live and let dies is, is a, the last movie that was close-ish to the book. <laughs> but you said this one's super close to the book. Yeah, yes. Well, kind of. It's been yeah. a long time since I read the Fleming books. I'm, I'm, I actually put uh, Casino Royale on my reading list, so we'll, we'll see when I get a copy. 
but yeah, yeah, good, good times. And the uh, this this part of the franchise rebooted it, so uh, Bond isn't somebody whose face changes every ten years and is somehow God like seventy years old, but not <laughs> somehow. Yeah, so they rebooted the series, but Judy Dench is still M because Martin Campbell apparently we have to thank for that because he really liked Judy Dench's M. So he's like, no, we're keeping her. She's good. How can you say no to Judy Dench's M? I mean, she chews that role apart. So the only other actor who was in serious consideration for the role of 007 in the reboot was Henry Cavill. But at 22 at the time, he was considered too young, which is incidentally, I think, the exact age that Timothy Dalton was when he was also too young to play Bond way back when. So maybe that will hint at future. Wouldn't that be funny if uh, he ended up being the next Bond? I know, right? Something to think about. But yeah, also, this is the second Bond movie that featured a foot chase, the first one being Thunderball. (laughs) It's hard to believe that we went that long without a foot chase. And let me tell you, what a foot chase it is. Yes, yes. Actually, let me go ahead and rephrase that and say, what a movie this is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This movie, I mean, A, it's 15 years old, and my God, it doesn't look like it's aged a minute. Except for the phones. Except for the, the la- phones. But the la- lack of smartphones is really, really obvious. <laughs> it's like, God, why are they using these antiques? They might as well have is- stones and smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just an absolute taut, well-constructed, well-executed film from start to finish. Especially the, the difference between the color and black and white segments in the, the um, pre-credits segment. Yeah, no, the, the whole movie, I, yeah, I have absolutely no complaints about it. So well written too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the best dialogue I've, yeah, it's Martin Campbell, man. He he brings that sauce because Goldeneye had good dialogue too. He must insist yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like there's there's nothing bad to say about this movie at all. It's it's this great. This is the, the from start to finish best film that we've seen since. Um, the Living Daylights? Uh, yes, it's Living Daylights, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think this is better than Living Daylights. I, I'll, I'll say that. I, I, I will agree with you on that. I think it is uh, the, the better film, but it is like Living Daylights. It's just shakes off the past like a, like a bad coat and just decides to be itself. And it focuses on being a good movie before being a Bond movie. Which I hear they screw up on as we go on. I, I've never seen Spectre, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was looking at it. Um, I know the next movie, sorry to talk about the next movie already, but it was uh, not as well regarded. And I think they fell into that trap. Uh, Quantum of Solace came out two years after this one. And then after that, they stopped doing it. I know I said that with uh, with Pierce Brosnan, but no, Pierce Brosnan's movies all came out two years apart, too. But yeah, they, they had four years to cook this movie up, and then they did Quantum of Solace two years later, and then after that, they went to like four to six years between movies, which I think is the proper thing to do, because anytime they have more time to work on a script, the Bond movie is measurably better. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, the, these these movies need to be, I mean, just by the by the subject matter, you, you can't crank out cheesy sequel because what that's that's what gets you into trouble when you have the time to to focus on being a good film from start to finish that's where this series really truly shines i mean yeah no i mean everything that we've talked about like they this this movie's like the summation of everything that we've been talking about like they talk about you know i mean they say out loud that bond is a blunted instrument in this you know and um he's like a friggin' terminator yeah, yeah. He well, gets he's this like look on his face, and he just won't be stopped. I mean, even in that opening foot chase, it's like the the guy uses the fancy uh, 
I the parkour. Okay, but that's a fake butter. Uh, he uses the fancy parkour and gets over something, and then Bond just smashes through the wall like the Kool Aid Man and doesn't even skip a beat. <laughs> That was so awesome. Like, that is such a brilliant way to show the difference between these two characters. Yeah. And also, like, Bond's thought process, I mean, he is a predator. He is 100% a predator. And once he locks on his prey, he will get it regardless of the of the other circumstances at play. And, and it was funny, like, you know, Bond was a terrible spy and gave out his real name in a part in the movie. And then, like, somebody said, that's horrible. But he does Why? it flippantly. Yeah, yeah. He, he like, but somebody calls him on it. They're like, "Why did you do that? That's bad spying." And he's like, "This guy's connected. He knows who I am. Why, why toy with him? I want him to know that I know that he knows." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's so 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 good. And also, this is something that a lot of movies screw up. The card scenes are shot in such a manner as to make them tense. And a lot of card playing movies suck because they forget to make the card playing tense. Yeah. And how good is Vesper Lind as a character? Yeah, no, I, I, I liked, I liked that she, uh, cause she's basically an accountant. <laughs> yeah, but she, she, she's not falling for Bond's normal, normal stuff. In well, fact, Bond doesn't I, have normal stuff at this, but yeah, like his, yeah, the way that they sort of toy with each other, cause like the way they both can like size each other up with their, I don't know, whatever their superpowers are. Um, I don't know. It was pretty interesting. Like, yeah, that, I'm, but that again, like the, the movie in general had very good dialogue, you know, because Vesper had good dialogue. Bond had good dialogue. You know, that, that whole scene in the parkour in the beginning where there's another agent working with them and he's telling them to stop being so stupid and stick his finger in his ear. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, we're just going to gush about this movie. I don't I don't know if it's worth it because like uh, there, there wasn't a single aspect of this film that I thought was weak, even there's an interesting slowdown at the end, but what seems like the the movie having a pacing issue is actually a very clever ploy to make the end that much more impactful because you realize that Bond relaxes for a moment, and that's what makes the betrayal at the end so much sweeter. Yeah, yeah, spoiler alert. I mean, it's a 15-year-old movie. At this, meant, at this point, are we really working on spoilers? <laughs> I, I think the alert has expired officially. Yeah, I what I liked about it too is they they finally for once shook off all of the just kind of sexism <laughs> that the the movie has had problems with and the, the moment he broke character the most for me, I mean from from the old version of Bond to this new one is when he's sitting there making out with his uh the the person that he's tracking's wife and there's an opportunity there for things to progress and the moment he has what he needs he's done he walks away there's not even a moment's hesitation even in living daylights if you remember at the beginning when he lands on the boat he makes that quip about oh make that two hours yeah yeah that's true there's none of that he walks away because he is a predator first and foremost and anything that gets in the way is is to be eliminated well, or just, you know, he wasn't going to kill that, that lady. No, but he, I, he was I like, didn't mean kill him from yeah. an elimination standpoint, but eliminated, like moved out of the way. Whether If it's, if it's, uh, it's somebody that he's been using to try and get information, he slides them to the side and walks away. If it's somebody that is trying to kill him, well, then he kills him right back. Also, Bond has a real problem, like not killing people in this movie. I noticed that whenever he gets in a fight with somebody, that person ends up dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's, 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 there's no softballs with Bond. It, it's, it's, um, oh, we're fighting? Okay, cool. I'm killing the living daylights out of you. You're done. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good point that it, it was interesting seeing Bond just sort of walk away from, uh, you know, the loving. Because, yeah, I don't think Bond would have done that in I don't think any Bond has done that or would do that in any of the previous movies. That, that scene in and of itself pretty much to me was like the very definition of their reboot, like what they're trying to accomplish. They made Bond into a professional, a professional hitman. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's nice. Like I like I, I I don't even know what to say about the movie. Like I can't critique it. It's it's exactly everything we've been complaining about they addressed and fixed. It's a perfect film too. I I'm hard-pressed to find any flaws with it. From start to finish, it just every aspect of it is so carefully constructed and balanced with the rest of the package. And you know, credit to Mark, Martin Campbell, credit to I think it was Stuart Baird that uh, uh, edited this one. Yeah, the guy who screwed up Star Trek Nemesis, so... Yeah, well, I mean, like, he fixed his, his Nemesis issue. That I'm, I'm, I can now officially forget that because he did such a great job on this film. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, everything about this is great. There's not a single weak point of it, and and the interesting thing is Lashif is, is such a good villain because he is at Bond's level. And when he gets the best on Bond, it's not because Bond is being stupid and has made a mistake... It's because for a moment he was better than Bond. You know, a lot of things that I complain about in the previous movies is that they surround Bond with incompetent people. And it's like that doesn't make Bond more competent. It makes him less so. And yeah, Lashif was a very competent villain. Uh, Vesper, the she was a very competent uh, accountant, I guess. You know, and but like her character wise, like she was on his level. Like she was very witty and, and you know, could spar with him verbally. It was nice that Bond had a human moment when, you know, Vesper watches him kill some to kill two people in front of her because she's she's an accountant. She doesn't do that. So she's kind of traumatized by it. And, and, you know, he like comforts her. And, you know, that that whole scene, basically, it, it, it makes the, the scene later on where he talks about with her, there is no armor like that scene doesn't have the impact that it does unless they had put this moment in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just the way he treats other people. I mean, even M like. Up until that point with Vesper, M was the only person he really respected because he sort of smiled at her at one point, you know? The whole exchange between he and M in M's apartment is amazing. Like, that is that is his way of showing her respect. And, you know, I know it seems weird, but it's basically like he's showing off, but at the same time he's saying, I'm showing off because I like you and I want you to know that I'm I'm the best for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 like a, a kid in a, trying to show off to a teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that's very true. That's very, very true. So, yeah, no, I, I, I've i got no complaints. Like, none at all. It's a great movie. You should go see it. You should go watch it again. Definitely. All these things that we're talking about is interesting because it just goes to show you how, again, well-written this film is because all these moments exist to to further bolster the character. Like, his character from start to finish is 100% always the same character. Growing, changing, yes, absolutely, but... You know, like so often when we watch these Bond movies, it feels like two different characters, almost like he's bipolar. Is there anything left to say about this movie besides it's awesome? No, I think you really summed it up the best when you said uh, go watch it because it's really, really good. Well, next up is uh, 2008's, uh, Quant- <laughs> 2008's Quantum of Solace, which I don't remember as being quite as good. Incidentally, that is the shortest Bond movie ever by by a good like f- five to ten minutes. Which one? Quantum, Quantum of Solace? Or? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, shortest one. One hour and 47 minutes. Shortest Bond movie ever. <laughs> by by a good... I think the next one up is like 153 or something. 
maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe they didn't have enough room to breathe. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I remember enjoying it. I think well, it had problems. Yeah, we'll get to that. We're that's next yeah. week's pro- or it's next been, episode. It's been a while since I've watched this one. Yeah, well, that's not good. <laughs> it's not bad. I, I don't remember it being bad. It's just not good. And then we have Skyfall, and oh god, oh god, that's going to be a good one. Skyfall is yeah. I've watched that film several times. Yeah, yeah that's good stuff. That's good stuff. It's nice finally getting to the good movie, good movies. You know, it's just nice. Oh man, this was good stuff. This was really, really good stuff. All right, well, that uh, brings us to the end of No Time to Bond. Join us next time for Quantum of Solace. But now it is time for us to move on, and it is time for us to move on into our Year in the Life segment. This is, of course, our segment where we look back in time very hard at an episode that happened one year ago. And what were we talking about one year ago, Robert? We were talking about anything. Forgot my dice. Episode 79, Stove Thoughts. You were off doing something, and I did an episode with Gina, where we talked about New Game Master Month again. What was I doing? I don't know. Uh, I don't. Was I traveling, maybe? I can't remember. Because that was back when, you know, we were able to board airplanes and go places, and... Oh, was this when I was in Orlando? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I went to Orlando. Went to Disneyland, or Disneyland, Disney World. Got to do the, uh, the the Star Wars land. And then I started my new job. Yeah, there you go. Gina and I talked about Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Cersei, Civilization VI, Doctor Who, Dragon Quest Builders II. Uh, we, were, we had just started the uh, Maraviosa game back then. We talked about that a little bit. She talked about Outlander, because <laughs> of course she did. Uh, and we covered Return to Dark Tower, because that, the kick... Pardon me. The Kickstarter for that had just started, and we'd watch Sneakers. So yeah, we were we were doing. Oh, some spy Sneakers movies. is so good. That movie is so good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that movie holds up too. Yeah, the technology isn't well, bad. You, you can't. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can only do so much with the tech part. It's the same thing as when I watched um, the thing, and that how well that movie holds up. Like, were, were it not for the technology present and the fact that you can see the puppet strings thanks to Blu-ray because it's so damn clear. <laughs> um, you know but the, the core of the movie holds up the script holds up you could reshoot that today and it would still work you know i'm ordinarily very much against like going back and reconjuring movies but you know what if you're going to do a blu-ray which will put things into high enough res that the puppet strings you can see them they should go digitally remove it's those it's not their fault either you know they made it for the medium right it, right it no that's available that, that that that's my point like if if yeah, they should just remove those because it's it's I, I could see somebody. It's like, well, it was there, but blah, blah, blah. it's like, yes, but the resolution that it was designed for isn't yeah, what, what you're what watching. Forget it at. is film is an infinite medium. So as we get better and better at displaying it and capturing what was on that film, we're going to keep running into problems like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if they can do it for Mandalorian with Gene's guy, like, why can't we do it for the puppet strings? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying change it. He's gone, by the way. He's gone. Who? jeans guy oh did you not see that that controversy yeah i saw it i didn't know they removed him already though oh yeah no he was gone he was gone by the end of the week wow like disney doesn't mess around that was was like hbo with the coffee cup in game of thrones that was gone like in a week jeans guy's gone well that's good jeans guy got disintegrated (laughs) and we all know how vader feels about that no disintegrations anyway jonathan your zaniness does not amuse me 
I, uh, I, yeah, now just remove the puppet strings because it, it's distracting and, you know, it's not their fault. Like, you know, it just isn't. I, I, I've seen that in Blu-rays too. And I, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I, yeah, just take yeah, those the, out. The horror films suffer the worst. They really do. Yeah. Well, like, they're made that, cheaply. Yeah. Not the higher resolution and, and, and the better contrast, especially because all of a sudden you can see into these shadows that you couldn't previously see into. And it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's rough. Can't remember what movie it was, but like the shadow disappeared uh and because the shadow was so gone you could actually see a crew member in the background oh wow but in the original you couldn't see anything because the shadow was much darker yeah that was the last episode gina was in you have been here for a year Mm -hmm. we need to bring her back i just neither of us goes anywhere anymore (laughs) yeah imagine that imagine that i was supposed to go to uruguay but that didn't happen you're supposed to come visit me almost a year ago i know can you believe that? Yeah. When, when Rona has its anniversary, it's going to be weird. That's just, Dude, it's coming up. I've been working from home since March 13th. That's a lot closer than you'd think. No, I know it's a lot. It's almost February. It is February. <laughs> what am I talking about? When people are listening to this, it is February. That's right. Yeah. That's the way time works. Yeah. Unless you're in Tenet. Which I haven't seen. Okay. I don't want to ruin anything. Go watch the Tenet. We, we need to talk. Eh, I'll wait. Download video. Get it from the library. Oh, hey, I wonder if they have it at the library. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be needing to remind you of this. Just didn't occur to me. Didn't think about it. <laughs> I just figured I'd watch it on HBO sooner or later. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our Year in the Life segment. Join us next month when we look at uh, what would be episode 80, which I think I was back, right? Yes, you were. All right. Oh my, oh my gosh, Jonathan. What's that? I'm currently 243rd in line on the Yeah, feeling good about this. This will happen next year. (laughs) Well, there's 31 copies, so it's not that bad, but yeah. 42, 5 by 31 copies times 2. I should have that in approximately 16 weeks. (laughs) Ah, That's not so bad. That's four months. Uh, That'll put us into May. (laughs) no what am i saying june because we live in the future that's right all right well it's break time we're gonna take a quick break and when we return it'll be time for us to deep dive into wayfinders do you have a tabletop board game miniature game or rpg that you're going to release for retail or do you have an upcoming tabletop kickstarter that you're about to launch we would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now time for our deep dive. And uh, Robert, we're going to be hitting the island air. Engines purring, goggles down, the seaplane is set for takeoff. Welcome to the whimsical world of Wayfinders, in which intrepid explorers race to chart new paths through the skies. You will need to think on your feet and outfit your planes with the right gear to arrive safely, but building hangars on islands and stocking them with parts can help you zip around with ease. Be sure to be keen on your planning, and will you unlock the charms of the islands? Wheels up, adventure awaits. That's legit copy. That that's not entirely how it is on the website, but it's close. I copied that from Board Game. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess I'll start by saying that this is one of those games where the theme is really kind of like 
it's squished on. This is a game about mechanics. It's very Euro in that respect. The irony of that is that the reason I I picked it up is because of the cover, because I like airplanes. Well, me comparing it to Tailspin based off of just looking at it, is that apt at all? Yeah, kind of, kind of. That, that's the vibe they're going for, absolutely. Okay. The, the world is a series of islands, there is no mainland, and you're just flying in between them. And seaplanes, like the sea duck. Yeah, yeah. But you could have easily had it be like a sailing ship, and it would have been the same game. Mm, okay. Well, Jonathan, how do you play this game? It's one of those games that's both simple and difficult to explain. Uh, I'll try and break it down for you. So basically, you start out by constructing your your play area and your play area is going to consist of uh the hangar board and the hangar board is where you'll be taking um supplies which i'll talk about in a moment and then of course there's the series of islands that you're going to be visiting the home island in the center of the playing field is always the same and is always there uh beyond that you have a five by five grid of islands which consist of nine red backed islands um and this is the back of the tile uh, they are where you get resource effects, eight blue-backed tiles where you get scoring effects, and seven yellow tiles where you get permanent rule-changing effects out of the game. Now, the reason that I bring up the mix is because there are considerably more tiles than you need uh, in the game, which means that you do get variation every time you play, not just in where you place the islands, as that is all randomized, but also what you get. There's a chance... Uh, as was exhibited in the last game that I played, uh, where certain colors of islands won't even pop up, which is kind of interesting. Everybody's going to start out with um, their plane, uh, and you get uh, five workers, and you get ten hangers. And we'll talk about what each one of these does in a moment. You also get to pull one resource out of the bag uh, to start with, and it comes with a nice cloth bag, and all your resources go in it, and you kind of just choose at random, which is nice. Uh, Quite a few resources in the game to manage, which is uh, fun. Uh, and they're both color-coded and they have symbology on them, which I really appreciated because that makes them very accessible to folks. So once you've created your playing field, you are basically going to do one of two things. Now remember I said that there's a hangar board and that hangar board is going to have uh, lanes in it and each lane leads up to a hangar and each hangar can hold up to three resources. In a two-player game, you play with four uh, of those hangers act- active A three-player, you play with six, and in a full four-player game, you play with all eight hangers active. And this is the primary method that you are going to be using to get resources. Now, I mentioned each hanger has three. Those resources are going to be stacked top to bottom, and that's important because when you take resources, you have to take them from top to bottom, which means that there may be occasion for you to put more than one worker uh, in front of any given hanger because you're trying to get to a resource in the middle of that hanger. Kind of makes sense so far? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at pictures of it on the uh, on the board game geek. Perfect. So you only have two actions that you can take in the entire game. You are either going to place a worker in front of a hanger, or you are going to take those workers, and that sets off a big chain of events, which we'll look at second. Now, when you place workers, it's pretty simple. On your turn, you place one worker, one of your five, and you place them in front of the hanger that you want, and that will allow you to take a resource from there when you take your workers off the board. Pretty simple and easy and cut and dry, right? Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of of, of action going on there, right? But see, here's the thing. When you take your workers, uh, that allows you to take resources. And when you take your workers, it's suddenly going to be very, very important. Because when you take your workers, those hangers refill, 
which means if you put your uh, worker in front of a hangar and somebody else has three workers in front of that hangar and those resources get pulled, suddenly you have no idea what's going to be there and maybe your worker's going to pull you a resource that you have no interest in. Make sense? Do you have to pull the, the guys in order or can you just do it at any time? No, when you pull, you pull all your guys. Oh, okay. And so it's going to radically shift the board because uh, at the end of that action of returning your workers, uh, you're going to refill the hangers with new supplies, and that's going to completely change the landscape for anybody that still has workers hanging out in front of those hangers. So when we do the action of returning workers, it's a multi-step action, and it actually breaks down into four steps. The first thing we're going to do is collect our resources and return our workers. So we're going to grab our workers. And we're going to grab one resource per worker out of the hangar that they were stacked in front of. So since you can put up to three workers in front of any given hangar, that means if you pull all three, then you get all three resources, leaving three blanks. And that'll be important in a moment. Once you have collected all of your resources, and remember, you have to pull from top to bottom. So you can't just grab willy-nilly. You have to grab the top thing off of the board. Uh, You pull any workers that you have out. And you can do this at any time. There's nothing saying you have to wait until all five of your workers are out. You can put out three of your five workers on three turns, and then on the fourth turn, you can pull everybody in. It just depends on what you're trying to accomplish in the game. Once you pull all the resources in, you're going to move your airplane and build airstrips. Now, this is the way movement works. Everybody starts at the home island, which is dead center in the uh, playing field. To move onto a tile, if you look at the lower right-hand corner of the tile, you're going to see a color. The color in this symbol in the lower right-hand corner is going to determine what resource you need to pay to move your airplane into that tile. Because movement is not free all the time. There are times where it is free. We'll talk about that in a moment. So you have to have a resources uh, to move. You're also going to use those resources because at the bottom of every tile are symbols that tell you what it will cost for you to build a hangar on that tile. So if, for instance... On the first turn, I pay one green resource to move into the green tile. And at the bottom of that tile uh, is a green, a yellow, and a red. If I have all those resources, then I can buy and purchase a hanger uh, to place on that tile. By placing that hanger there, that also allows anybody in the game, not just me, to have free movement in and out of that tile. Because as long as there's a hanger, that means there's an airstrip, which means you can land and refuel and you don't have to worry about finding resources on site. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. The other thing you're going to see on these tiles is in the upper left-hand corner, you're going to see a number. That number is going to tell you how many points that's worth at the end of the game. And there's also going to be a symbol to the right of that number. And that's where things start to get interesting. The red tiles, if you remember from setup, are resource tiles. Those are all going to have various uh, combinations of resources that you can take. And a lot of those are basically going to be like, take one, two, or three random resources out of the bag. The second tiles, the blue tiles, are what are called scoring effects. And those don't come into play until the very, very end of the game. Basically, if you've built a hangar on an island with a scoring effect, not only do you get the points for building a um, hangar there, but you also get uh, one of a wide variety of scoring effects. Like, you get to score any tiles um, that have hangers on that row or on that column. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different ways that those work, but essentially what they all are is you get extra points for having something on that Island. Make sense so far? Yeah. Next are those yellow tiles, those permanent effects islands. And those are where we start to break rules. And those are really, really neat. Um, those can have a wide variety of effects, including giving you free movement into specific colors of islands. 
or expanding your um, your inventory permanently. Because at the end of the turn, you're going to have to draw down to three resources if you've got a lot left. Those will let you keep more. And those are the yellow tiles? Those are the yellow tiles, yes. And that's the yellow icon at the bottom right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So those are um, going to basically permanently alter the rules for any player that builds a hangar on those islands. Uh, so you, as the game progresses, you're going to be able to move around a lot more because suddenly you're going to have basically these highways built where everybody has airstrips and, and you can jump from island to island without having to pay a resource cost. And that's where things start to really get interesting. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Carlos really jumped on this when we played together um, right away. He like saw the uh, ability to do combos. And that's really what this game starts to become about. It's how long can I stretch my turn? Because there are no limits once you start moving around and building hangars and stuff, you can keep going as long as you have the resources to do it, which is really neat. So you could move and build a hangar. You could move onto a red tile and build a hangar, and that hangar lets you pull three resources. And let's say you pull those, and you can move again, and those three resources that are uh, you pulled give you enough to purchase another hangar. So you do that. And let's say that one gives you more resources, so you pull that. So you, you can keep on steamrolling. You can keep on comboing and create some really neat scoring uh, effects. Now... In a nice way of preventing the random nature of randomly pulling stuff out of a bag uh, from getting in the way of, of making progress, at any time, you can take two of the same color and call them any other resource type you want, which is kind of nice. Ah, that makes Very sense. smart inclusion there. Very smart inclusion. So once you have completed all your movements, you've, you've moved around, you've built your hangers, you're 100% done, you have to check your resources. And if you have more than three and do not have any... Um, inventory expansion slots then you are going to have to bring yourself down to a maximum of three kept resources the rest go back into the the supply bag and then you're going to refill the hanger board by drawing random supplies out of the bag and refilling it sliding everything that was left up and refilling from the bottom upwards and that's where things start to get interesting because what was in those hangers before you pulled your guys is no longer there which means that the landscape for other people that have been placing people down on the board in front of the hangers is now completely different. And that's that's where the game really starts to get cutthroat. And that is it. You progress until somebody has two or fewer unplaced airstrips. Everybody takes one more turn, and then that's the end of the game. You calculate your points. You calculate all the points for the um, islands that you built a hangar on, and then you look at scoring effects and see how they alter your, your point total because those will sometimes let you get massive, massive points at the end of a game. It seems easy enough. There, it's cute. Yeah, like I said, easy to explain because it's really only two actions, but there's a lot of complexity and a lot of opportunity to to um, uh, kind of rib each other. Yeah, it's cute. I like. I kind of like this game. This game is very cleanly designed. Like it is. Uh, it's a pleasure to play, and once you get a bunch of people that know what they're doing, it also plays very quickly. So speaking of clean design, how uh, how clean is that rulebook? Well, I'm not going to say that the rulebook doesn't cha- teach you what you need to know. It does. I don't like the way it's laid out. I found it really confusing to learn the game. It wasn't until I got everything out on the table that it all started to click. And as I go through and look at the mechanics, I think it's because of the way they, they approach mechanics and introduce stuff to you in the in the rulebook. It's just, 
there's some poor wording choices that make it a little more confusing than it needed to be. And I, I think there are most likely some rules videos out there because there's not a whole lot to learn that are going to do a little better job of teaching you the game. But do not be put away. Uh, do not be put off by the the rule book um, not being super easy to learn from because the game is worth it. It's super, super fun. So we've talked a bit about how cute the components are. So the game is is adorable. Um, first of all, the, the hanger board is a really nice dual layer board uh, so that those channels are um, very distinct and that helps to kind of manage stuff. All of your components from the little worker meeples to the hangers uh, are and your, your plane are all injected plastic, which is really, really nice. There is one little problem, though. Um, it's not something that can't be solved, but it's it's worth noting. When they injected the plastic for the, the mold of the meeples, the flash is on the bottom of one of the feet, and there's flash on every single one, which means that nobody stands straight up. They all, they're all, like, peg-legged. Oh, yeah, you can see that in this picture. I mean, it is what it is. You may or may not find it distracting. I found it distracting, and I also worried that the the sharpness of the flash was going to scratch the um, hanger board. So I would definitely suggest if you have a file, uh, go through and just file it all down. It's just the bottoms of the feet on all the meeples. It'll take you maybe 10 minutes to do everybody. But it was a weird thing. Like, you know, it's one of those, like, obviously the person that laid out the mold has never played the, uh, played the game and doesn't realize what, you know, where that injection point uh, could have gone that, that would have been a little less intrusive. Because it had it been at one of the ends of the hands or at the foot, or pardon me, or at the head, it wouldn't have been a big deal. No big deal. Yeah, true that, true that. Well, that sounds like something off in the execution. Is there anything off else off in the execution? Uh, well, everything else is super nice. Like the cloth bag it comes for, with for the... Uh, for the resources, super nice. And also, the resources are like an acrylic. Listen to this. Ooh. Yeah, they're like little acrylic tabs with silk screening on it. The resources look beautiful, and I'm not going to be sitting there worrying about putting my hand in and out of the bag and, and wearing down the cardboard. So it's really nice. They feel like uh, like uh, almost like those, those uh, plasticized Scrabble tiles. Yeah, yeah. I like also how they're color coded. So if the, the paint kind of rubs off, uh, it doesn't yeah, matter. Absolutely. It gives you a distinct color and it gives you a distinct symbol. So, um, it's really, really easy to determine what's what. Cool. So you, uh, how many players does this thing, uh, handle two to four players? Uh, how many players have you played it at? I've played it at two and I've played it at three. I wasn't able to get a four player game together. Thanks Rona. Well, the the board game geek says it's best with three. Would you agree with that? That it was better than two, or H- having not tried it with four, I can say that three players works better than two. the The nice thing is that having more players means that you're going to have a lot more interaction on the hanger board, which I think is where this this game really gets some teeth in terms of figuring out the strategy of when to pull your guys. Because there's nothing stopping somebody else from building a hanger on the same island that you did, and they still get the same positive effects. So, so really, your your opportunity to mess with other players is going to strictly be in the hangar. All right, Jonathan. We're at that time. Tell me one last thing you want to say about this game. 
First of all, this game is lovely to look at. It's a really nice package with some really great art that really embraces the theme that they were going for. And it really does end up fitting the mechanics pretty well. I'm not saying that you couldn't have pasted on a different theme and gotten to the same place. I'm just saying that everything comes together really, really nicely. And with the the plastic meeples and the plastic hangers and the, the plastic uh, chips instead of cardboard for the for the resources... This package is really, really nice for what you pay. Like the, you, you're getting what you pay for in a big way. It, it feels like a top end production. Uh, rulebook needs some work. No big deal. There's uh, alternative places to to seek out that knowledge that is going to give it to you. But at the end of the day, I had so much fun with this game. It's a lovely little package. It's very well designed. It's very tight uh, to play. It's easy to learn. And best of all. Um, there's a really good balance between strategy and player interaction, uh, but the player interaction is never really specific. It's never aimed at another player. Rather, it's trying to manipulate the the market in such a way to to maximize your own personal, and that might clip somebody on the on the back end. But at the end of the day, it plays super quick and super fun. And it's a lovely, lovely package of goods. I, I'm really impressed, and I'm really enjoying my time with Wayfinders. Well, that is Wayfinders by Pandasaurus Games. That's right, Pandasaurus. Yep. Designed by Thomas, and I hope I don't screw this up, Dagenay, Dagenay, L'Espérance. I have no idea if I said that correctly. If anybody wants to tell me how to say this in French, I would very much be obliged, because I... I tried. I tried, and I hope I didn't screw that up. <laughs> also, there's little dolphins and whales and stuff in the ocean, and it makes me happy. You're such a softy. It's like a manta ray, too. I got to see a manta ray in the ocean in Mexico once. It was really pretty. Such a softy. You I disgust like the ocean. me. I told my wife when I die, don't put me in the ground. Just toss me in the ocean and let me go back. Ugh. The ocean's what? full of Cthulhu's and... I don't care. I'm dead. What do I care? Yeah. The ocean scares me. It shouldn't. It's a beautiful place. Full of life. I stepped on a fish once at the beach and that, that was it. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I like my water clear and nothing living in it. Sophia says to me the other day, Daddy, I'm afraid of sharks. And I said, why? I don't know. I just am. Are, are you worried that one's going to come get you? And she's like, yeah, a little bit. And I said, honey... <laughs> I don't think that the the chances of somebody driving to the coast, picking up a shark, putting him in a tank, driving him back, having all the equipment needed to keep that water fresh and full of oxygen for him, bringing him into the house, up the stairs with the tank, and tossing him in bed with you is, is particularly high. I think you're going to be all right. She seemed to enjoy that answer. It reminds me of this uh, manga I read back when I worked at Borders called Gyo. Landshark. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's what happened. Have you ever read Gyo? No, I was just thinking of the old SNL gag. Uh, here, telegram. Here, here, look at your phone. Just came in. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's creepy. It's all get out, too. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, it'll go away. <laughs> yeah, it's about this uh, this fishing town where these weird machines that uh, attach themselves to fish start crawling out of the ground. And then as the series progresses, larger and larger things <laughs> start coming out of the it's water. It's a great white crab. Yeah, yeah. See, here, here's here's the first one, or here's the early stuff with just the fish. Little fish with legs. Yeah, little 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 like 
Crabfish. Crabfish. Crish? Cra- crabfish. Frabs? Frabs. Frabs. <laughs> I kind of like frabs. There, there's something that happens late, later on in the story. Oh, holy crap! That's a sperm whale mixed with a lobster. Yeah, th- those things are machines. There's like tubes that go into lobster. their... Lobster. Well, in the, in the sperm whale, it's going into their mouths. And on the fish, they, the tubes tend to go into the gills. There's a lot to digest there. That's a... There's a lot to digest there. <laughs> now all I can think of is the boys with that whole like sperm whale scene. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. Goodness, if we're that far off topic, I think it's time, my friend. I think it's time to bring this one to a close. Yeah. I dare you to read well, Gyo. Gyo. If I can find it, I'll read it. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 103. Only 97 to go to episode 200 of the Forgot Only My f- Dice podcast. 47 to go till our next AMA. Oh, hey, there you go. There you go. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. Look, it seems to be that uh, the one to go to lately has been Discord. Discord is where all the magic is happening. Yeah, yeah. We're going to play next Sunday. I, I wrote it down on my calendar. I'm totally down. I'm totally down. I had to work this past Sunday, but no big deal. Robert, there's only one thing left to do, and that is to ask you any final thoughts. I don't know if this will sell you on Go or not, but there is a odd amount of flatulence in that horror manga as well. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, who doesn't love a good fart joke? The farts aren't funny. Farts are kind of terrifying. Oh. Terrifying farts? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That's a good episode title, too. (laughs) (laughs) Here, I sent you a picture of one of the little machines that attach themselves to fish. Oh, no. Is this this going to define the terrifying fart? No. Oh, what is that? Yeah, yeah. It does not look comfortable. No, no, it's not. It's like part crab, part earthworm, part hair clip. Yeah. Yeah. Gyo's a weird comic book. Or manga or whatever. a lot to digest there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, there's only one thing left, Robert. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 